Join us at our annual conferences in London, Florida and Sydney to learn everything you need to know about ITAM in the cloud era. For more details, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hello and welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. On today's podcast I have Daryl Smith. Uh, Daryl works in the office of the CIO um, as Agency Software Manager for NASA. Uh, which is America's National Aeronautics and Space Administration. I hope I got that right, uh, Daryl. Um, I recently saw an article in uh, magazine FedTech um, showing how Daryl saved $100 million for NASA's, the, the NASA agency. And when I read that, I thought, I've just got to get Daryl on the podcast. I'd love to hear how he did that and, and uh, what he's doing around Sam. So Daryl, a very warm welcome to the iChain View podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, uh, first of all, I, I made the mistake of thinking that you would be in Florida. You're actually in Louisiana, is that right? Actually, it's, um, I'm on the grounds of the Stennis Space Center that's located in Mississippi, which borders the Mississippi and Louisiana um, state line. Okay. And what do, um, so, so welcome to the podcast, what do NASA shared services actually do? What, what's, the, what's that function doing? Yeah, so um, the NASA Shared Services Center, um, um, short NSSC, um, was established um, as a result of the OMB A76 competition um, back in 2005-2006 timeframes and opened for business in 2006 here at the Stennis Space Center. NSSC uh, performs select business activities as identified by NASA executive management for all NASA centers in the area of finance management, financial management, um, human resources, information technology, procurement, and distinct business support services. Um, NSSC uh, is supporting its missions and is uh, currently under contract by its service provider, which is uh, CSRA. Um, Relative to the Enterprise License Management Team, um, the Enterprise License Management Team, um, who is responsible for managing um, uh, consolidation opportunities in the area of software uh, license management, um, is managed here at the NSSC at the request of the agency CIO. Um, And that function was established back in 2008. And that, uh, the ELMT is the catalyst uh, for um, having the agency to realize the $103 million in um, cost avoidance uh, that was uh, reported since 2011. Um, I would say that was myself that I was able to, to realize that, but I didn't do it alone. Um, it was um, as a result of uh, the enterprise license management team that has uh, service providers, uh, various contracting officers within the NSSC contracting um, um, office or in the procurement shop to support those uh, procurement initiatives and also representatives from various centers, programs, and projects throughout the agency. 
So I'd, I'd love to dig into your history in IT, but could we start with your current role? Um, so we mentioned agency software manager. Uh, what, does, what does that entail on a day-to-day -day basis? Okay, so um, currently I'm serving as the role of the agency software manager, and I'm responsible for uh, managing NASA's um, software uh, inventory across the agency. Um, as, a, as an outcome of a recent, um, and when I say recent, more so in uh, fiscal year 2016, um, OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, issued a directive to all federal agencies um, back in June of 2016 that requested that uh, agencies strengthen their uh, software license management efforts uh, across the federal government. And one of the directives called for uh, agency CIOs to identify and appoint uh, agency software manager that would be responsible for aligning that agency to uh, the sub-elements contained in that OMB memorandum. Uh, as a result of that, um, doing the work that uh, I did as the Enterprise License Management Team Chief Strategist, um, the current CIO had reached out to our executive management here at the NSSC and requested that I support that role uh, in helping the agency to align to that OMB directive. And how did you how did you get to that point to be in that position in the first place? I noticed that you have, looking at your LinkedIn profile, you've got several roles under your belts. Uh, at NASA, could you tell us a bit about your history and and how you got into IT and how how you ended up in the role that you have? Yes, sure, sure. So, um, in um, back in um, 1999, um, I joined NASA uh, through a summer internship program uh, at the Goddard Space Flight Center, um, supporting the outsourcing desktop initiative for NASA, um, the Odin program. Um, ODIN was one of the uh, first outsourcing initiatives that the federal government um, had implemented back in, um, or at least not the federal government, but the NASA implemented back in uh, 1998, December 1998. Uh, so uh, I was offered the opportunity to support the, the program office that was situated at Goddard at the time uh, in a support role. Um, so in 2000, 2000, one 2002 time frame, um, I transitioned more into uh, support support management role, um, more so acting in, in a deputy role supporting uh, the Odin program office while at Goddard, uh, where we were looking to improve upon our desktop management throughout the agency uh, and uh, improve upon uh, service requirements uh, expressed within the contract. Uh, so uh, from 2003 to 2006, I had uh, assumed the role of acting program manager during that time uh, for the Odin program office. So I was uh, the acting program manager and also the contracting officer technical representative during that time, um, which is the uh, you know, acronym is CORE. Um, during that time, the uh, agency CIO office was looking to uh, move that function to the NASA Shared Services Center because, as I indicated before, the Shared Services Center opened its door in March of 2006. But shortly after that time, uh, it was in the agency CIO's um, 
um, strategic plan to move those functions that were enterprise in, in nature to uh, transition to the NASA Shared Services Center. So during that time, I, I um, was offered um, uh, the chance to become the program manager around 2006-2007 timeframe. Um, from an acting perspective, instead of being at Goddard, uh, transitioning to the NSSC. And then shortly after that, probably about a year and a half, two years later, I then transitioned into the program manager's role full time. Uh, but also running parallel activity, the ODIN program was um, coming into uh, the last uh, couple of years remaining under that contract, and then I transitioned. Uh, into a support role during the source evaluation board activity for the follow-on contract to ODIN, which was the agency consolidated end-user services contract um, that is currently in place today. I served on that source board um, from 2000, I say 2009, 2009 timeframe through 2010. And after completing the um, source board activity, I was offered the ability to um, move in my role as being the um, ODIN program manager and subsequent agency um, ACES service manager to um, the enterprise license management team strategist. Um, and in that role, I was asked to um, look at the, the current construct of the um, ELMT, the Enterprise License Management Team, and look to try to expand the um, contractual base of the ELMT and put um, some additional processes and um, outreach campaign to promote uh, increased use of the ELMT to, that would increase uh, the agency's visibility in the area of software purchases throughout the agency. Cool. And then so now um, um, served in that function as the ELMT strategist from 2011 through, um, I would say, August of 2016 until I was uh, asked to be the um, uh, enterprise, uh, the agency software manager. So just um, whilst, before I forget, um, we're recording this, Daryl and I are recording this podcast in late April, and yesterday there was a, a news piece about um, Peggy Whitson, who's just set a new record in terms of days in space, uh, mind-boggling 534 days in space. So congratulations yeah. to the NASA team for that. And I'm sure that your savings are in some way contributing towards uh, all of this innovation and groundbreaking stuff. Um, so you mentioned um, 103 million, which is very impressive. Could you tell me about that journey and where did that start? So 2008, I think you mentioned, and you you talked about broadening the uh, the contract base. Could you maybe expand upon that about what your current contract base is now and how you got there? Yes. So. Um now, the, the, the reported cost avoidance, um, and it, not just within the article, but a, as we have reported to the Office of Management and, and Budget, um, was avoidance realized from 2011 to end of fiscal year 2016. Um, and that was the result of um, the ELMT 
uh, growing or significantly growing its base from um, around 2011, there were roughly 14 contracts that the ELMT had at the time. So from the time of um, 2011 through 2016, uh, the ELMT had grown its contract base from 14 contracts to approximately 60 contracts. Um, now, those contracts aren't, um, you, you would think when you're listening to um, uh, or looking at uh, agency software licenses, typically you would think of, you know, um, Oracle, which is one of the contracts we already had in, play, pay, in place, or Microsoft, uh, or uh, things like Adobe, Acrobat, which we do have a contract for. But if you look at the um, spread of types of contracts that we incorporate into our portfolio, the majority of, of the applications that we support are niche, are considered niche software. And when I say niche software, um, it's software that is supporting various aspects of the agency's mission um, that are spread across all 10 centers. And, and for example, you know, we have software that has supported a multitude of, of, of projects um, crossing various engineering orgs throughout the agency. Um, we have software that supported um, uh, activities uh, for uh, historical NASA projects such as like uh, the Hubble Space Telescope or even um, supporting uh, some aspects of, of activities supporting Orion or even SLS from an engineering standpoint. Um, the, 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 as I indicated before, back in 2011 I was asked to um, look at the, the current construct that we have with the LMT and be able to grow the business is that the, the primary focus from a NASA strategic sourcing perspective um, was to ensure that we provide the agency visibility into the way we procure software to streamline the procurement process that would, would uh, free up procurement resources from the various centers. Uh, and, and when I say that is, instead of having every center focus on buying the same engineering tool, let's say that um, one of the engineering tools is um, engineering tool ABC. And instead of having 10 centers, procurement shops spinning up procurements to procure ABC that, it, that are eating up procurement resources, that are eating up um, technical resources from every center that have to you know, ensure compliance with existing federal um, guidelines and procedures, going through review vetting process, executing the procurement evaluation team, et cetera. Um, we're, have been we have been delegated that responsibility to establish that, uh, that uh, procurement vehicle, to streamline it, obtain all the approvals, and then have the, the mission organizations, instead of worrying about how they procure their software, they can focus more on the technology. And we streamline the way that they have be able to obtain that software. But in doing that, we can understand the consumption of that tool set, we can understand who are the various players that are utilizing those solutions um, that provides us better visibility, that provides us opportunities that in the event that there are some other orgs that may be procure, have a need to procure future software, if software may go unused, we have the ability to reallocate those assets to other government entities, thus being better stewards of the taxpayers' dollars and being able to maximize that uh, taxpayers' investment.
Um, and then four, it, it allows us strategically to be able to look at the various tools that we have in our portfolio and, and have a serious look and say, you know what, uh, we have 20 different tool sets from um, 10 different solution providers that provide the same assemblance of capabilities. Do we really need all those different tool sets? Or can we agree upon going to a smallest tool set that will look to uh, reduce our overall return on investment? Now, most of what you see, or the majority of cost avoidance that you see within $103 million, is cost that, that, that we save the agency from incurring from um, uh, in the event that if each individual center's program or projects would have purchased outside of the ELMT. So if you know they're looking to buy ABC solution set at NASA Goddard and they were to um, get a direct agreement with that company and go with standard commercial pricing terms and conditions, the, the amount of savings you see is the difference from what they would have saw in doing an agreement by themselves as opposed to coming under the umbrella agreement that we secured and you see the difference in costs that they avoided. So that's what you're seeing within the $103 million in, in cost of ones from 2011 to 2016. So, so Daryl, both you and I know that you didn't just point some technology at that and click a button. Um, it's a case of people, process, and technology to get that achievement. And prior to this call, to this recording today, uh, we were talking about your four C's methodology, which I think is fantastic in terms of implementing organizational change and changing people's habits. Can you talk to me about the, these, this four C's and, and maybe even provide an example of, of that in action? Yes, so you know, when, when we're looking at you know, the portfolio entry points, when we're looking to be able to assess how things may come into the ELT portfolio, you know, there, there's a process that we, that we have, and then it's more so the three-step process. But before we go through that three-step process, and I'll explain that in a few minutes, um, the, the, one of the, the foundational elements that helped us to support uh, this change effort has to do with the four C's. And it has to do, first, with coordination, um, second, communication, cooperation, and then collaboration. Now, with that, the enterprise license management team is uh, a form of a vendor management office for NASA in the area of software license management. And when I'm talking about uh, vendor management, we're looking at establishing an organization that has structured interactions with software publishers to uh, en enable information sharing but that information sharing is to be able to attain a common understanding of our current environment that we have right now. And when I say the environment, NASA's environment, also our engagement with that vendor. It allows us to be able to discuss some of the priorities and identify areas of common interest with the publisher before we engage in the official um, procurement process and then explore alternatives with the publisher in a proactive manner um, that, that looks to try to obtain or at least establish uh, a future enterprise relationship. Now, enterprise relationship doesn't necessarily constitute where we're going for an enterprise license management agreement. 
but we look at uh, various types of contracting agreements that uh, that we can mutually agree that we can establish parameters for operation relative to procuring software within the agency. And then, of course, establish an ongoing management cadence or process that's codified through contracting. But then that's done through, when I'm saying first coordination, before you engage with that vendor, you have to learn more about the vendor. You have to do some strategic analysis and planning before you engage in discussions with them. And with that, you know, you want to understand what's your current footprint. Um, we we you leverage as much as we can existing software uh, asset management tools that we've had within the agency uh, to help us get an understanding of what is currently uh, deployed within the environment. And then we, we look at trying to um, enhance our market intelligence relative to that particular vendor. Um, what, what has been their um, typical sales strategy? What things do we foresee within their technology roadmap? Um, what existing sourcing alternatives are out there from a government contracting perspective? Are things available through uh, the NASA um, soup contract? Or are things available through GSA Schedule 70? Or does the agency have existing contracting vehicles in place uh, within the agency that we could potentially leverage to procure, potentially improve upon our relationship with that vendor? And then, of course, um, based off of the information that we collected, what are some of the potential uh, cost avoidance or savings potentials that the agency could realize if we look to try to create a consolidated vehicle to simplify procuring for the agency? But not just for the agency, it also simplifies the operating model for that publisher. Uh, so that's the coordination piece. That's one of the first C's. The next aspect of it when you're lo looking at um, vendor engagement is that, look, then you're going to start to engage with the vendor uh, to identify areas of improvement. Uh, what are some potential areas we looking we could potentially structure relative to enterprise license agreement? Um, can we develop or potentially enhance those relationships with the vendors? Well, part of that is, you know, familiarizing yourself with the vendor and then also with the, the culture and environment within the agency. And then we, we bring awareness relative to uh, the various contracting approaches that the vendor may propose. Now, of course, the vendor, you know, they're, they're going, you know, they're, they're going to the far uh, left where they want to get uh, an enterprise license management agreement, uh, where from a government perspective, you know, we want to go to the right. We want to have flexibility. And so what we have to do, we discuss pros and cons associated with each approach. And we try to meet somewhere in the middle. And typically, when, you, when we're trying to structure our agreements from an uh, enterprise license management team perspective, we try to balance flexibility with cost. And from an ELA perspective, from a software vendor's perspective, uh, ELA constitutes the, the most optimal vehicle from their perspective because it requires a long-term commitment and it will provide the government the lowest cost. But from a government perspective, you may get the lowest cost, but you get the lowest cost at a price, and the price is you lose flexibility. So you have to balance which one is important, both from a near-term and long-term perspective. And that discussion occurs during this aspect of the communication phase, 
when you're communicating with the vendor to, to try to get a common understanding of, of where, where we're at right now and what potential options are out there. And then we also bring awareness from the standpoint of, of the vendor's awareness of what constraints or parameters we have to operate in relative to federal law, the FAR, and NASA FAR SUP. Uh, because there are things that we can and cannot do um, based on parameters that have already been outlined. And this is our opportunity to proactively discuss those things with the vendor before we go to the formal procurement process. Now the next phase, the acquisition strategy implementation, that's the cooperation. So what I'm talking in this phase is that this is when we're implementing the strategies and acquisition activities relative to enterprise agreements. So that's when you're codifying the agreement. Uh, this is when you're um, enter into positive negotiations and engagement with the vendors to finalize any of the prior discussions you had in communications. Now, that could be depending if you're doing a direct engagement with the vendor or typically when most software publishers are, there are very few that sell direct to the government these days. So this is when the, you put a uh, request for, um, for bid out to um, distributors and value-added resellers that may resell a particular product, whether it be Microsoft, Adobe, SAP, etc. And so when those vendors send those requests to the software publishers to respond to, the software publisher is already aware of the potential approach based off the proactive discussions that we had with them in the prior phase relative to the communication. So they have a general awareness of where everything's going, and at least from a macro level, have uh, tentatively agreed with the approach. So then we're increasing the likelihood when we go to the cooperation phase, which is the formal acquisition strategy implementation, you increase the likelihood of being able to get good quote responses back from the distributors and value-added resellers to respond to the government's requirements. And so then the last phase is the ongoing management and vendor engagement. Once the contract's in place and you're looking to implement and you're having ongoing operations, this is the uh, internal processes and vendor relationship aspects that you're having to be able to promote the uh, optimal utilization of that vehicle and potentially improvements of that vehicle with the vendor. And that's that collaboration, that ongoing collaboration that you have with the vendor. And it's, also, it's always an iterative process that you have with the software publisher and with the value-added reseller. Because, you know, when, when you establish agreements with the governments, um, and especially when, you, when you're engaging in relationships when you're talking about Adobe or Microsoft or Oracle, um, they work through a value-added reseller. And typically they don't have privity of contract because privity of contract is when uh, your uh, duly warranted officer, contracting officer may enter into an agreement with a, a vendor to procure a product. Again, those companies I mentioned earlier, they don't do direct agreements. They work through a reseller or a distributor to be able to obtain those agreements. So the Microsofts, the SAPs, the Adobe's of the world, they don't have a direct contractual agreement. They have an indirect relationship with the government. But it's still good to be able to engage in those discussions with those publishers with the value-added reseller so you can ensure smooth operations of that contract once it's been executed. 
So those are um, the four C's. Now, relative to ELMT, where we're introducing elements into our portfolio, there are several, several methods that we have with that uh, to be able to achieve um, um, or at least evaluate things to be uh, um, things to be uh, incorporated into our agreements. We have uh, internal requests that come in the form of requests from our center IT asset managers. Uh, we have customer requests uh, that come directly from um, various programs and projects throughout the agency, and also uh, through ELMT lessons learned. And, you know, we had an engagement with a particular vendor, and based on our, our lessons learned, we're looking to try to initiate a request to be able to change the, the, the contractual construct for a subsequent follow-on. But then we also have uh, external requests. We may get a request from a software publisher. Hey, uh, company ABC, um, it reaches out to the, uh, NASA and say, hey, we know that there is a, a significant portion of your environment that's using our solutions through various contract means. Uh, we believe that there's a opportunity for the agency to reduce costs if you consider securing an agency agreement with us. So once we look at those various methods, we do some initial market research, and that goes back to the coordination, and then it initiates the the three the four C the coordination, communication, cooperation, collaboration. But these things start based off of either internal or external requests to initiate that that vendor management engagement from an ELMT perspective. So how, how, without going into specifics of, of vendors or, or agreements, but how do the majority of these vendors actually respond to this 4Cs process? Because it, it does sound very grown up, and I would have thought most vendors would actually appreciate it because you're, you're having an adult uh, conversation about requirements and, and trying to mutu reach a mutual agreement, aren't you? Well, it, I, I can say early on, when uh, first joined uh, the ELMT in uh, 2011, it was a slow process. And uh, quite frank, some were a little reluctant with going with this process because, uh, of course, you know, the, you know, sales organizations, they're, they're, they're incentivized by securing that sale, getting that long-term commitment. So they're swinging for the fence. You know, they want to get the ELA. And so when they would approach us and say, you know, hey, we believe the best approach is doing an enterprise license management agreement. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's not our need. We don't have a need for that. Um, and then we would try to have a discussion with them relative to um, considering a more flexible approach. Then um, sometimes we would have to walk away from discussions with, with publishers. But then over time, as our portfolio began to grow and publishers started paying notice to the growth in the portfolio, then they would circle back and then we would have more productive discussions with them. And then over time, as they start to see the value in having those type of discussions with, with NASA through the ELMT, that's when we start to see um, publishers proactively engaging with us. We would have discussions with uh, vendors about having the ability to go to an ELA should the agency decide to evolve to that over time. But it wasn't one of those things, take it or leave it approaches that were 
that we were faced with early on when we first came to the ELM with the ELMT back in 2011. We still have some vendors from time to time. You know, they they believe that the ELA is 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 the best approach, but that's being very short sighted because if you look at it from a government standpoint. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of uncertainty that we have with, um, with you know, always trying to do more with less. We also, from a NASA vantage point, you know, we're always looking to be able to evolve to be able to provide the best tool set to help support an evolving um, or ever-changing uh, mission environment. So you may be the tool set today, but because of advancements in technology, it may be more suitable to go to a, another solution set that can better meet our evolving environments. Well, with that, having an ELA in place, you may be stuck with the ELA from a long-term perspective to procure something that may be obsolete versus when you have the ability to be able to look at an array of various solutions and you have the flexibilities to potentially change where it makes sense, that's more plausible because, again, we're not getting new funding. So we're having to reutilize existing funding that we have. So having the flexibility to be able to uh, go up or down with our requirements is just as important as getting the lowest possible price. Because getting the lowest possible price can be a hindrance in the future if you don't have the utility to be able to go up or down or potentially replace a solution set. And ELAs typically are conducive um, for any entity, whether it be federal or even corporate, um, to be able to interchange solution sets if your mission requirements may call for a change. So talking of funding, Daryl, um, obviously all of this, the, the EMT team costs money and you need tools and you need processes and you need to, you know, consultants and all the rest of it. And obviously, you've got a, a, an outstanding ROI now, but obviously, it didn't start like that. So, could you tell us about how how do you actually justify doing this, justifying the funds to do it? And uh, did you inherit the tools in two thousand eleven, or did you go out and buy something? And how did you justify that expenditure? Well, just it's, it's two elements I think you're discussing. It's one thing when you're talking about the organizational. Uh, environment, which is the ELMT, and there's another aspect that you're talking about as far as tools to help you manage or implement the ELMT. First, from an ELMT perspective, um, ELMT was stood up in 2008 at the request of the agency CIO, um, and so they reached out to the NASA Shared Services Center um, to request that we uh, propose an organization to be able to better manage software licenses within the agency. So a business case was done to executive management um, that would come into the NSSC um, uh, operational model that the center's programs and projects would be able to fund annually going through a review, a review process that we have through our, our, um, our investment board. And the, the the investment board will review the LMT goals and objectives, and they would agree upon um, uh, the operational construct and the funding 
for the organization within that fiscal year. And based off of that, we'll work within our working capital rate to support um, distinct procurement functions within the agency. As the agency's objectives grew, and I'll point to specific from 2011 to 2016, our office dynamics changed. And as such, we communicated that change to executive management and got prior approval to be able to grow or increase our workforce appropriately to meet that growing, or, or at least meet um, the increase in scope. But that's something that we had to agree to prior to that fiscal year. And that's working within the, the, the uh, working capital model that we have within shared services, because that's the same function that we have going through the review vetting process with our NASA executive management through the annual uh, PPBE process, um, public planning, budgetary execution process that we go through. And so now relative to tools, the ELMT doesn't per se have um, a tool set that we per se charge the centers for. We leverage existing tools that are already in place within the agency, uh, whether it be from an IT security perspective or from a, a desktop support perspective that's already in the environment, as opposed that we charge the centers a cost to implement a particular tool to support our function in being able to effectively negotiate software agreements. And if you were, um, if you were giving advice to somebody starting on a similar journey, um, what I mean, obviously your four C's and your management of these now sixty contracts is important. But what specific processes do you think were most successful in delivering this hundred three million? If you could. Have, advise anyone to implement any particular process to save the most money, what do you think you would recommend to people? Well, you know, having an operational model um, is paramount. I know that um, right now there, there's a lot of buzz going on within the federal government as a result of OMB Memorandum 16-12, which is, you know, um, software category management. And within the, the memorandum is saying yeah, as much as possible or practicable uh, we're to leverage software um, asset management tools uh, to effectively help us to automate and and uh, implement um, the items are called out within the directive but there is no silver bullet that's out there relative to uh, a software solution that's going to cure everything or is going to address everything. Starting with your processes is paramount. Getting an operational construct of how you interface with your internal organization, how you look to be able to evaluate various solution sets, identifying target goals that you're going in with relative to your vendor engagements, and then having the process and some tools that you identify to assist you in tracking the ongoing management operations will help you to become more efficient. Software without the processes will do you no good. You have to outline your processes, your governance, and your management construct first, and then look at assessing various tools. 
But again, I'll give you a baseball analogy. Instead of swinging for the fence, the goal is to engineer runs. And so from an ELMT perspective, NASA started out with this activity back in 2008. So we, we've learned quite a bit from 2008 to 2017. You know, we had you know, roughly 11 years in, the, in doing software management. And so when we meet or hear from various software providers saying, hey, we can do this, we can do that, that's fine. But if you, if you, if you look at one, the resources it takes to be able to implement a new solution set within their environment. Two, considering that you know you have to reutilize existing resources to be able to implement solution sets. Three, you have to then do the evaluation, security validation, uh, and then uh, be able to identify resources to be able to deploy that solution set. And then you have four, the training and the environment. You have to look to try to maximize as much as you can on the investments that are already within your organization, as opposed to looking to the future and saying that, hey, that one solution is going to help us fix everything. Again, there's no silver bullet within in the environment that can do everything that you need to do relative to software asset management. You do have to engage in discussions with the vendor. Software is not going to do that. You do have to negotiate um, potential changes to the licensing terms and conditions that conducive to your environment. Software is not going to do that. You do have to engage in technical discussions with your organization to identify the need, the, the solution sets are going to best meet your solution, or at least that organization's needs. Software is not going to do that. Those are the, the foundational things that you have to engage in proactively before you start to introduce new solutions in your environment. So again, without effective coordination, communication, cooperation, collaboration as a foundational construct, bringing in a software solution to help you manage it, but you don't have those other elements in place with governance, you don't have your processes down, uh, you don't have an uh, organizational construct to support implementing getting this in place, both from a central organization of management, but then also, too, you have, you know, boots on the ground relative to those that can help you do technical monitoring at the, your field centers. If you do have those centers to support this, software is not going to help you solve that. You still need people at the center to be able, or the various centers, programs, or projects within your organization to be able to provide that surveillance, provide to that real-time input, and help you to normalize uh, real-time information in the field to help you improve upon the software operating model. So you mentioned about the fact that the vendors were a bit slow to adopt or, or embrace your program initially um is there any is there any ways that you would change things if you could do this again is there anything that you've learned you know in, in hindsight that you might, might have changed if you were to go, go through this journey again um actually no i mean what what happened over time from 2011 to now um there's been a lot of change within the federal area and the area of software management and so 
while NASA and several other agencies like uh, Department of Defense Enterprise Software Initiative, which is similar to ELMT, um, but they've been doing it a lot longer um, than uh, the Enterprise License Management Team, but organizations like that and, and NASA's ELMT had been on the cusp of assisting their agency to better manage software licenses. Well, when um, GL, the Government Accountability Office, conducted an audit back in 2014 of federal agencies, they issued a report indicating that there should be better management of software, which you have more of a software organization to, to promote better consolidation, better management of software licenses throughout the software lifecycle, enhanced training of individuals responsible for managing software, things of that nature, then that helped when we would engage with various software publishers that this wasn't just a NASA thing. It, it was an effort that was beginning across the federal government. And so in 2014, shortly after that, um, Congress uh, initiated the Megabyte Act in 2016, which was a request to OMB or the Office of the President to establish better policies, procedures, and guidelines and directives to mandate the federal agencies better manage software. And then subsequently after that, you had the OMB Memorandum 16-12 that was issued uh, that established software category management that was issued throughout the federal government that you know, have better management of software. And a lot of that had to do with things that we were looking to try to achieve from ELMT back in 2008 to 2011 timeframe. And then from then to now, we were early in, in the adoption phase of that type of operational construct. So now it's, everything has come full circle. So before we had to arm wrestle, for lack of a better word, were with um, software publishers. Now they're proactively engaging in discussion because now it, we have a consistent cadence. We have a consistent voice and goals and objectives that we're trying to obtain across the federal sector. And then also, um, as a result of this uh, OMB memorandum, we're sharing best practices and lessons learned across other federal entities. We have a enterprise category software management team that we meet several times within a month to share best practices to help agencies to be able to better improve the processes. So all of this is helping us as a, a collective unit within the federal government to better the government's position in engaging in software agreements. So revisiting your question again, is there anything going to change? No, because it now everything that we were trying to do and implement early on with multiple software publishers that it was very difficult to engage in discussions with them back then. Now, it's less of an issue because this is the mode of operations within government today. Well, that's um, that's awesome. Um, it's I really appreciate your time, Daryl, today, and you've it's a fantastic achievement of the team. And I hope you continue to do good stuff, and that NASA continues to do good stuff. Um, thank you very much for the time. Join us at our annual conferences in London, Florida and Sydney to learn everything you need to know about ITAM in the cloud era. For more details, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events.